0: Well, one of the things I've really enjoyed doing in my life is to coach. I started coaching when I was back in high school. I helped coach elementary school kids in the, in the football program where I grew up. And then I started coaching my son a little bit in soccer, and my daughter coached her for many, many years. And it brought a lot of joy to me. And one of the reasons why it brought joy is because I was able to help someone else with a skill. And then watch them go and do it. One of the, the fun things I love to experience out in the world is when you, you, know, you go out to eat somewhere and then, then you have your, your waitress or your waiter come up to you, but they're being trained. And you can tell they're being trained, right? Because there's someone there with them, helping them to figure out how to navigate taking an order, smiling, be nice, remembering the order, bringing the food at the right time, all these kinds of things. My wife loves to help kids learn how to read. It's one of the things that brings her joy in her life. And a lot of us that have been around coaching or teaching and training, we do it. And we say words like, you can do it. You can do it. Whatever I am imparting to you, you can do this on your own. You have the ability to do it. I remember um, just this past fall, uh, my daughter was playing on the, the high school team, uh, and then there was a field right next to us, and there were another group of, of uh, girls playing. And as I was on, I wonder who they were, and I was watching, and it was, it, was, it was tough. It was brutal. It was really, really hard to watch. And I said to my daughter afterwards, I said, so what's up with the, the, the team on the other side? I mean, what, what's going on with that? She goes, well, those are kids that have never played soccer before. But they come to high school, and they, they went into high school, and um, they just want to play. Now, what's the difference between the two fields? Someone has coached my daughter and her team, and nobody has ever coached these other girls. Now, they're having a blast. They're having fun. It's high school. Why not do it, right? But they've never been coached. They've never been trained. Coaching makes all the difference. We're going to read in Scripture this morning about another coach, Jesus. Jesus has been intentionally coaching a group of disciples, Now, you have to understand the whole um, kind of system that Jesus was a part of. Jesus was a rabbi, and at some levels, the rabbi uh, level was one of the top professions in Jesus' day. If you got to be a rabbi, it meant that you mastered memorization of Scripture, and then you also were good enough that you attracted followers. People wanted to follow certain rabbis. And so we're going to kind of take a look at who these disciples were. Now, back in those days, school was all wrapped around Scripture, the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And you went to school and you learned how or you memorized Scripture, And once you got to a certain point, say, you know, you're five, six, seven, eight years old, and you get to a certain point where it's pretty clear that you're not going to be able to memorize all of the books of the Torah. Now, there are different people with different skills. I would not have been one of them. The rabbi would have come up to me and said, hey, Paul, or whatever it is in Hebrew, Pablo, um... You've given it a good shot. But it just, this isn't for you. So I would recommend you go back to your family, let them know, and you're going to have a good life. Everything's going to be great. And you're going to go learn how to do whatever your parents do. When Jesus comes along and recruits his disciples, these are not disciples that are following another rabbi. These are disciples that were told at one point in time in their life, hey uh, Peter, hey hey, John, James, you know what? This isn't for you. You, you, you have it memorized Deuteronomy. You can't spit back to me Leviticus. You, you just, you can't do it. Hey, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna have a good life. Um, go out and, and help your family's business. And that was mainly fishing. They were in the fishing business. And so when Jesus comes along and recruits these guys, they are not the A team. They are the B team. They're not on the field where you can see that there's kids have been trained and coached. They're on the field where there are people that that have never been coached, never been trained. Jesus calls those people, not the best of the best, not the smartest, not the people that are able to to take the test, not the 35 ACTs, right? These are people that really struggled with being able to memorize Scripture and then then really struggled with being able to talk about it and to be able to argue about it. So Jesus comes along and he picks the B team, the not good enoughs, the ones that are out learning the family trade. And he picks them to coach. And he coaches them. Most of Matthew is Jesus coaching his disciples on how to be like the rabbi. How to do what Jesus does. And so we have these stories in the book of Matthew, these stories where Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples. We have this story where Peter gets out of the boat, right? The story Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on water towards Jesus, and all of a sudden Peter doubts, and he starts to sink. Well, who does he doubt? He doesn't doubt Jesus because Jesus is standing on the water. Jesus isn't sinking. He doubts himself. He doubts his own ability. He doubts his coaching. And we see another example of this in the book of Matthew. Let's read this chapter 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, this is Jesus and his disciples, a man came to him, to Jesus, and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Now that's a translation, epilepsy was not a known condition back in the time of Jesus, but that's what the scholars believe this young man had. And he had seizures. And he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. This is a really bad condition. And the man continues, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Now, that's a coach right there. Jesus is coaching up his disciples. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I was playing up on the varsity football team. I thought it was all that and a bag of chips, and I was playing um, uh, uh, defensive back, and I decided on my own for some reason that I was going to blitz from way, way, way too far. And I didn't even get there. I wasn't even close. Coach took me out, and he said, "Uh, you can't do that. I can't say what he said, but he said you can't do that. Perverse generation, that's getting kind of close. And so I felt so bad about myself, I kinda, and then I stood there next to him like, Coach, you know, I'm ready to go back in. And you know what he said to me? I'll never forget. This is one of the things I've never forgotten about this coach said to me. We can't afford to have you out there. Whoa. Coaching me up. Jesus is doing the same thing. You, faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? This man brought his son to you to be healed. You've been with me all this time. I've been coaching you. I've been teaching you how to do this stuff. How much longer must I put up with you? Can we really afford to have you out there? And Jesus says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we do it? He said to them, because of your little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. The amazing thing about what Jesus does is that Jesus teaches his disciples and then says, Do what I do. Do what I do. You've been equipped, you've been coached. Now go and do what I do. And the disciples, their faith didn't lack in in their faith in Jesus, they saw Jesus do all these things. They lack faith in themselves. They lack the faith to know that they can do what Jesus is calling them to do. You and I are the same way. We've been coached. We've been trained. We've been sent out to do what Jesus does, to bring hope to bring love, to bring community, to reach across barriers and boundaries, to be the kind of people that can make a difference in this world. Do you have faith in your own ability to do that? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what Jesus did for a young man that grew up in the South. He's an African American. And we now know his name, Martin Luther King Jr. But if he hadn't had faith in his ability to do what Jesus does, we'd never know his name. We'd never know his name. He would just been another person walking around doubting that he would have the ability to do what Jesus did when you hear part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech you can hear Jesus you can hear Jesus his words, his intention for community and for life because Jesus has a dream that dream is for health and wholeness for community. I have a dream today, Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I will go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, To struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that all will be free one day. And this will be the day when all God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my father died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightened Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. And he didn't say this, but the snowy, wintry Minnesota. But not only that. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee, from the Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children... Black, white, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Faith can move mountains. Faith can make the crooked ways straight. That's what God has been coaching into you since the very beginning, to live your faith. And so together we stand as one people, as we proclaim the statement of faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let us stand together. the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.